0: Man is asleep. In sleep he is born, in sleep he lives, and in sleep he dies. Life for him is only a dream, a dream from which he never awakes. That is from Peter Uspensky, as quoted in Kenneth Walker's A Study of Gurdjieff's Teaching. Gurdjieff's teachings generally avoid all attempts of systematization. This first talk is titled Man is Asleep and Man is Machine. There will be terms and ideas that come up in this talk which one will only fully understand or in part understand by listening to later talks. Only in listening to all the parts could we attempt to understand the whole. Gurdjieff's understanding of sleep, and likewise the understanding of what sleep is within what is called the work, or the fourth way, is not poetic. It isn't figurative. Sleep here isn't used as a metaphor. The word sleep is not intended as a metaphor regarding man's approach to the world. This is not how it's meant. Sleep is meant literally, with regards to man's reality. We are all sleepwalking through life, and as such, living in a sleepwalking world, a reality of somnambulance, a world wherein everyone is walking around in a lessened state of consciousness, and yet imagine that they are in fact awake fully conscious. They lie to themselves about being awake, for they are asleep, and they shall not wake up. The immediate reaction of many to this statement, that everyone, including themselves, and including myself, and including you, the listeners, is asleep, that we are all asleep, is usually one of opposition, even of hostility we react against it. It cannot be we think and say. We say this and we think this of course in sleep. It is a imaginative reaction to something we don't want to admit. Perhaps this first talk is my attempt to explain what sleep is in the Gajifian work, the work, the fourth way and also perhaps you an understanding of it which will allow you to assess for yourselves whether or not these ideas are true. But this is the position of the work of the fourth way, that we are all asleep. We go to our jobs, tend to our families, vote for political parties, make the decision to vote altogether, make judgments of others, conduct affairs of state, Cook meals, experience emotions, support ideals, write books, give orders and put simply, experience the entirety of our lives, give or take a very few rare exceptions, flashes if you will. Inclusive of all our actions and decisions, all of this is undertaken in a state of sleep, of lessened consciousness. To be awake and to be asleep are commonly understood as functions of consciousness. A word which within the work is understood to be badly misused within the West. Within the work, consciousness is not simply a function possessed by all in an equal stasis. Consciousness is not equal among all. We are not all merely conscious in the same sense that there is only a single intensity of consciousness. Consciousness, in the words of Uspensky once again, is not a function but an awareness of a function, the attention of a function. The greater the degree of consciousness, the greater the quality of various activities, and thus, of life. The greater the intensity of one's consciousness, the greater the quality of one's life. When we observe ourselves over time, we'll begin to find that we have moments of coming to, where our awareness of being conscious flashes intensely, and we ourselves, anchored more firmly in the present, A moment which quickly dissipates and is forgotten. This begs the question what is happening in between? What are these stretches of, as Walker puts it, self-oblivion? These stretches in our day-to-day lives where we suddenly come to and we realise that we've been, well, where exactly, for hours on end? Often one finds this most commonly in driving, one will set off driving. Maybe for hours, maybe for 30 minutes, maybe it's your daily commute. But you are drawn into a flurry of imaginings and fantasies, desires, thoughts, emotions, a tumult of different mental phenomena going on which drag you to and fro and drag you into sleep. And all of a sudden you arrive at your destination and you realise time has passed but you don't know exactly where you've been. But you certainly haven't been attentive, almost as if you've teleported somewhere except none of it was really your decision and yet we are still reluctant to admit that we are asleep. So where are we in these stretches, this self-oblivion that happens? Vast stretches of time wherein all we thought, all we acted out and all we did was done without being the least bit conscious of it, without any awareness of what it was we were actually doing, where it was we actually were or what it was we were even thinking passing the day, as Kenneth Walker says, in a state of waking sleep, a state which lay somewhere between the sleep in bed and wakefulness of true self-awareness. I would ask you all now, perhaps it's the middle of the day, perhaps it's the evening, perhaps maybe just a couple of hours have passed. But if you think back to the time you've been awake today, how much can you truly remember? How many experiences can you truly put your finger on As to whether or not you're actually attentive of them. What can you even remember of being attentive of today? And yet, you have been apparently awake. Apparently you are alive and yet, where is the attention? Man is immersed in dreams. He lives in sleep. He is a machine. He cannot stop the flow of his thoughts. He cannot control his imagination, his emotions, his attention. He does not see the real world. The real world is hidden from him by the wall of imagination. And that is from Gurdjieff himself. Before I continue on the subject of consciousness, with which sleep is directly related, I shall explain what is meant by the second part of my title and the aforementioned word machine, in the Gurdjieff quote, beginning by giving you an example from life, and this example is somewhat paraphrased by a story that can be found in Gurdjieff's writings, primarily though it is often retold in different places, primarily it can be found in Beelzebub's tales to his grandson, Gurdjieff's magnum opus. You decide that you are going to walk to the store, the supermarket, from your house, Luckily for you, it's only a 200-metre walk until you get to the store. It's only a few house lengths down the road. In fact, if you went to the certain part of the road, you know, across the road, you could look down and you could even see the store. It's not far at all, 200 metres. You believe, as all men do, that you are awake. You are conscious. Of course you are. You are alive and, of course, you are attentive. You are most certainly a man and, of course, you are not a machine. And so the story goes, you begin your walk, you leave the house, and the first few few seconds of your walk are focused solely on what it is you're going to purchase from the store, your true aim of that moment, and the walk itself, everything which is present. Your aim in that moment is simply to get to the store, and you perhaps want to buy bread and some fillings for a sandwich for your lunch. That is your aim at this moment, your present aim, and that should be what you're attentive of alongside the journey there, what surrounds you on the way there, perhaps the noises that you hear of the birds, the sights of the cobbles on the houses, the smell perhaps of a rain that's dried. You could be entirely present. And yet the story goes that the first few few seconds of your walk, you focus on these things, you're attentive of the present, of your aim. What it is you're going to purchase from the store, the walk itself, the feeling perhaps of your feet hitting the floor and the the sound of the door of your house closing as you lock it, the temperature outside perhaps it's so different from the, your house that you notice it and your impressions of your immediate surroundings. This only lasts a few seconds, maybe even less than a second. Suddenly a bird flies overhead and your attention is drawn to its movement. It goes out of sight just past a tree, but. This event reminds you that you need to call the tree surgeon to remove that annoying stump in your back garden. This frustrates you. Emotionally, you are now frustrated. Thinking of your garden, which the idea of the tree surgeon reminded you of, you do wonder if your wife managed to get out into the sun today. The idea of this makes you smile. It makes you quite happy, the idea of your wife being out in the sun. You're not sure if she's enjoying her job at the moment, thinking of your wife. You think of whether or not you could do what she does for work. As you're thinking of this, suddenly a car drives past and you remember that you need to put air into your front left tyre. Once again, you move back to this state of disgruntlement. You're annoyed emotionally you've been pulled there. You think back, how much did it cost you to replace them all last year? Now you're exasperated, exhausted at all these thoughts. You need to now move money from one account to the other. You need to start thinking of the tree surgeon. You think back to the bird and where that may have gone and why it might have been flying. You think back to the car and the tyres and your annoyance at the whole situation. And before you are even aware of it, you're entering the store. There's multiple moments like this in our lives. In fact, the majority of our lives are composed entirely of moments like this, stretches of what Walker calls self oblivion I would urge you all to try keep an eye on this, or try and be aware of this whilst driving. That is one of the most common areas where this is most prevalent. Time has passed for this gentleman in this story. Time has passed. Emotions have fluctuated. Ideas, imaginings, and fantasies have appeared from nowhere in your mind. Experience has happened to you. Existence has passed you by and yet where were you? Where was this man in this story who only needed to be attentive for 200 meters and yet in this space of time his mind was dragged to and fro in this state we call sleep. He was entirely asleep, controlled by something entirely other. Your attention and consciousness of reality in this story quickly drifted away and you have to ask yourself where have you been? The work doesn't state that sleep is a fact it merely asks you to ask yourself whether or not sleep is a true idea whether or not you are existing in sleep. And This takes me back to the Gurdjieff quote and the second part of my title Man is machine. This man in this story and ourselves and myself and you the listener, we've all acted as a machine. We are all machines. All our actions, thoughts and movements are entirely mechanical. Once again, I like sleep. This is meant literally, not figuratively. figuratively. It's not a metaphor. It's not some robotic metaphor. This is literal. We are both asleep literally. And we are literally machines. Gurdjieff states, Men are machines, and nothing but mechanical actions can be expected of machines. Man does not realise he is in this prison of the machine. And if you were to tell him so, he would flat out refuse to admit such a thing. He may even get quite hostile. And again, you cannot drag a horse to water if it does not want to drink. Man is a machine which reacts blindly to external forces, and this being so, he has no will and very little control of himself, if any at all. That's Uspensky. So man exists in sleep, and man is machine, and yet the question must be asked, which I am hoping many of the listeners are asking. If they see some truth in these statements that they are machines, that they are asleep, that they are just simply being pulled along by the forces of the world, and they themselves are not attentive, and they are not paying attention to the world around them, and they feel as if something is missing, and as if life is simply passing them by, and for vast, vast stretches of time, they cannot think of anything at all which they actually experienced. Numb to life and existence itself. And I hope we're asking the important question. The the question, in fact, that Gurdjieff said to Uspensky was one of the most important questions he'd asked him early on. Is it possible for men to stop being machines? Is it possible for us to stop being a machine, to stop existing in this way? Gurdjieff makes it clear various things can give us flashes of awakening of waking up moments when we temporarily wake from sleep and i imagine that all of us have had one or two or a few of these very 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 minor moments in our lives a sudden crisis setting out on a journey where this entry into a completely new world overwhelms one and they have to suddenly be attentive of what it is they're entering into, perhaps entering into the university for the first time and exploring the campus. Everything's so new, the impressions are new. A mother holding on to her newborn baby, the idea that suddenly she has such an overwhelming responsibility to a life, that life itself creeps in and she remembers everything. The conscious effort we need to undertake to acquire a new skill, such as learning to drive, perhaps even a moment of extreme danger, may wake us up from this perpetual slumber. The realisation that we sleep, we accept every day, need not be accepted. And that our lives may be entirely different. This is what all these moments show, we may have all had them. This sudden almost ruthless awareness of the real. An attentiveness which intensifies one's consciousness momentarily as if in a flash to a different level. These flashes allow us to see that life could be entirely different, that it could be so much better of a higher quality, of a higher standard. And yet, five minutes later, after we've explored the campus after the baby has settled its crying for the first time and we have got used to holding this new life in our arms, after the danger has passed, after the crisis has passed, after we've arrived at our destination and all the newness of the journey has gone, what do we do? The epiphany deflates and the machine continues on whirring. We fall straight back to sleep. We become once again machines. So to answer the question of what it is to wake from sleep is a question of consciousness and it's aforementioned misuse. The fact we misuse the word in the Western world. So now I move into the fourth way's understanding of consciousness, the work and Gurdjieff's understanding of consciousness. There are four states of consciousness possible for man we are familiar with only two. We are familiar with sleep in bed, the common understanding of sleep. When we get into bed at night, we close our eyes, we pull the duvet over and we fall asleep and we have dreams. That is the first level of consciousness, the lowest level, if you like. We are familiar with this. We are also familiar with the sleep that I have previously spoken about, the sleep with which we spend... Pretty much all of our time in all of our waking life, all of our existence is in this sleep. This is the second level of consciousness, and we shall call this waking sleep. Above these two further states are two further states of consciousness. Above these are two further states of consciousness. We have sleep, as in sleep in bed. We have waking sleep, the the sleep in which we spend all our time. And then on the third level of consciousness, we have something called true self-consciousness which is also referred to as self-remembering but this is one of those times where self-remembering as a term won't be expanded upon here that is a talk for much later and finally we have the fourth state of consciousness objective consciousness firstly let's look at the state called self-remembering but not self-remembering itself so true self-consciousness this State, which is the, thir- the third level of consciousness, and just above waking sleep. Let's take our understanding of it once again from Uspensky, who states that it is associated with a vivid sense of one's own existence, as well as of what was happening around one, what is happening around one, an intensified attentiveness, something we have may accidentally, as I said earlier, experienced in childhood or in these moments of crisis. We can also think of this third level of consciousness, of self-remembering, as an arrow which points both externally out into the world and internally. For when we think about it in our day-to-day existence, we usually only direct our attention either outward, into the world, into the ongoings and events of the world, or inward, into ourselves, by way of a daydream, a fantasy, an imagination, an introspection, an internal analysis. But in these moments of self-remembering, where this arrow points both ways, both at the same time out into the world and into ourselves, what is happening is both understood to be happening outward into the world, but also happening to me all at once. To look at an object and to be aware of yourself looking at it. This is the third state of consciousness though this will be expanded upon in the self-remembering talk much later. The fourth and highest state of consciousness isn't something that I will dwell on long for now. Hopefully at some point you will see why it would be needless to dwell on it so early on, especially in the first talk. But the fourth state is the highest state of consciousness. It's called objective consciousness, sometimes referred to as cosmic consciousness, and sometimes referred to as enlightenment or illumination. In this state, Simply put, man would be able to see himself objectively as he actually was. Back to the important question of how it is possible for man to stop being a machine. For surely this must be the most important part of all of this. If one accepts that we are asleep, if one accepts that we are a machine, if one finds, as many of Gurdjieff's early students stated to him when they found him for the first time, that their life is unbearable. Everything is fine. We have all the money that we need. We have a roof. We have food. We have family. We have friends. Everything we have been taught to believe will give us contentment and satisfaction in life is there in place, and it has probably been so for many, many years. And yet, there is something amiss. There is something after all of this which simply has yet to be placed or found. And it is this, says the work, it is that we are in sleep and that we are a machine. And so for these people, for those who also feel this unbearableness of life in the sense that there must be this something more, surely this question of how it is we can stop being a machine is of the utmost importance. Surely all our efforts should be directed towards how it is we can wake up. So. Each state of consciousness is only accessible from the one below it. Objective consciousness, that fourth highest state of consciousness, is reached via the level of true self-consciousness, self-remembering, whereby the man on this level may receive flashes of the level above. Likewise, ordinary people, machines, on the level of waking sleep, may receive flashes of the level above. As I've said, we receive flashes in these moments of crisis. So when we are in sleep, We receive flashes of this third level of consciousness, of true self-consciousness. But it's never maintained, it's never prolonged. It is through prolonged work on oneself, in a struggle, whereby one makes consistent efforts to self-remember that the escape from the prison of the machine, and thus sleep, is possible. You are in prison. If you wish to get out of prison, the first thing you must do is realize that you are in prison. If you think you are free, you can't escape. Good, Jeff. I've spoken of this prison, this prison of sleep, of the machine, the prison of the sleep and of the machine. The prison whereby existence passes you by in a daze. You awake... And you're attentive only in momentary bursts before all of a sudden you are pulled straight back into sleep. And yet equally this means that your actions, your emotions, your movements, your memories, your thoughts, your ideas, your beliefs, your ideals are all mechanical. Controlled and possessed by whatever it is which seizes your attention within sleep. Your attention is not your own. To stop being a machine, to wake up from sleep, is possible. But, first, as one realises they are in a prison, one must realise they are asleep, that they are a machine. For as Gurdjieff states, if you think you are free, you cannot escape. If you think you are awake, you will forever be asleep. If you think you are a man, you will forever be a machine. How then does one begin to, at the very least, recognise that they are in prison? Firstly, they must simply observe. And for a comment on what it is to observe, I turn once again to Uspensky. But the first step for you to take is to find out for yourselves whether this be true or not that you are not present when you are doing things, that you have little or no responsibility for what is happening. Observe yourselves very carefully and you will see that not you, but it speaks within you. Moves, feels, laughs and cries in you, just as it rains, clears up and rains again outside you. Everything happens in you and your first job is to observe and watch it happening. I will conclude this talk here. For those sincerely interested in these ideas and the possibility of waking up, please see details in the description below. I look forward to the next lectures. Thank you.